Open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. And if you have a bulletin, your notes should be in there as well. And that will be very helpful for you to be able to follow along this morning with me. As we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Well, Moses bowed before the Lord in the tabernacle, in front of the door of the tabernacle, on a hot, dusty day in the wilderness. Israel had already been in that wilderness for 38 years. They were about to go into the promised land. As Moses bowed before the Lord, the glory of the Lord shone around him. But Israel was gathered in another place, and they were gathered complaining that they did not have water. And so the Lord told Moses in Numbers chapter 20 to go out to a certain place, to find a certain rock, and speak to that rock, and supernaturally, God would provide water for his people. Moses was righteously angry about their sin. I mean, 38 years and you're still complaining. Think of all the good things God's done for you. But, but something happened inside of Moses. From the time he, he met with God, the God who is in control, the God who provides, to the time he went out before the people. Moses went out before the people and decided that he was going to gain control of these people. And his righteous anger turned to sinful anger as Moses put himself in the place of God. And to gain control of these people, he raged against them. Numbers Numbers 20.10 says that Moses exploded like this, saying, Hear now, you rebels! Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted it up his hand, and he struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly. And and sinful anger was raging like a fire in the soul of Moses. And when he opened his mouth, his words cursed Israel, called them names. When he lifted up his hand, he beat the rock and heated indignation and disobeyed God. God said, speak to the rock, not hit the rock. And Psalm 106.33 speaks of this time. And it says this about Moses. Moses spoke rashly with his lips. Moses had out of control sinful anger, which actually led to a serious consequence. And that was God met with Moses and told him, because you did this, you are no longer allowed to go into the promised land. See, sinful anger had devastating consequences for Moses. Church, anger is dangerous. Anger is dangerous. And that's the title for my sermon this morning, The Danger of Anger. Anger is like the combustion of gasoline. Most of you came today in vehicles and you have an engine in your vehicle that is fueled by gasoline. And those engines are powered by the combustion of that gasoline. In other words, that gas is on fire, right? Gasoline in a combustion engine under the control of that engine and the fuel injector can be beneficial, right? Because each of you came here in a car, and if you came in a vehicle like that, then it was beneficial. But if you take that gasoline outside of that engine, and you light that gasoline on fire, it's going to be dangerous. It's going to be out of control. It can hurt. It can destroy. Anger is like gasoline on fire. It can so easily destroy. It can so easily hurt people. Yet under the control of God, it can be a benefit. So we're going to look at today righteous, Christ-like anger, 
contrasted with sinful anger. In verses 26 and 27 of Ephesians chapter 4, we really see this this big idea here. And that is, because of the danger of anger, you must quickly put away anger. Because of the danger of anger to your spiritual life, to your family, to the church, we must, you must put away anger quickly. Remember the context of Ephesians chapter 4? So just remind, let's remind ourselves of this. Verses 20 through 24 is the birth of the new you in Christ. It's when you believe the gospel and you were born again. Verses 25 through 32 is the growth of the new you. These verses, 25 through 32, are commands that show us how we are to live as a new person in Christ. How we're to live like Christ. And and look down at verse 23. let's, Let's not miss this as we're going through this series. Verse 23 is the heart of this passage. And that is that the Holy Spirit is renewing us in the spirit of our minds. And so as we think about these commands, particularly we're talking about anger today, we're talking about putting off that which God does not want us to have in our life. That's the old ways, putting on Christ-likeness, and we do it by meditating on God's word, by allowing the Holy Spirit to control our thoughts, really surrendering to him. In other words, all of this happens within a relationship with God, whereby we love God We enjoy God. We obey God. And so therefore, as we think about these two verses, verse 26 and 27 today, we'll see the same pattern of put off, put on, be renewed. But let's not miss this. You cannot do it in your own strength. This is not a religious ritual or some type of rules to follow. This is saying, this is how you live in a relationship with God. And particularly today, as we think about anger, So look at verse 26 and 27. The scripture reads, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Keep your eyes on those two verses and notice there's four commands in those two verses. The first command is a positive. Be angry. That is to say, Put on Christ-like anger. And then notice the second command, do not sin. This is a negative command. And this is to put off sinful anger or anger that can lead to sin. And then the third command is do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And this is the really the command to put off anger before it turns into sin. So put off anger before the sun goes down, before it turns into sin. And then verse 27, I think, really presents not only the last command, but also what should renew our thinking in this passage. And that is, give no opportunity to the devil. This is a warning to us as Christians. And, and then the, the, what's renewing our mind here is this idea that anger can be a foothold where Satan can get into our life and he can influence us. He can destroy our lives and our marriages and our relationships in our church. In verse 27 there, what he's alluding to is this spiritual war that we are in. The title, look at verse 27, the title devil there means slanderer. It means opposer. This is a warning that, that Satan is opposing you every day. I mean, flip over real quick, flip to Ephesians 6, two chapters over. Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us that we are in a spiritual battle. We'll see the same title, the same person, the devil. In verse 11, Ephesians 6, verses 10 and 11, says that we are to be strong in the Lord. We're to have the strength of his might. In other words, notice this is a dependent relationship, a faith relationship in Christ. Where we trust him, we put on his armor, that's his character, by his Holy Spirit's power, through the word of God. And then notice the end of verse 11, so that we can stand against the the schemes, the tricks of the devil. In other words, that's what's happening in our life on a daily basis. Satan is after us. And that's why 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, wake up, be watchful, 
Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. Satan can use anger to get an influence in our life. The world really envisions this week we have, you know, the world celebrating Halloween and the world really envisions Satan as this red horned devil, you know, that walks around and people celebrate him on the 31st. But let me actually tell you that that is actually not how you should picture Satan. Satan is not prowling around uh, on the 31st in your life. That's not how you should fear him and fear what his work is in your life. The Bible says that he is an angel of light. His temptations actually look good. The devil's work in your life is more like this. It's more like you're serving the Lord on Sunday morning. You're getting the music ready or you're in the nursery or you're getting ready to come to church and, and everything falls apart on you. And, you know, one of the kids isn't dressed like they should be, or the, the stand isn't working, and you get frustrated, you get mad, and you're angry. And all of a sudden, you realize you're sinning against the Lord. That's the devil's work. The devil's work is, is when you make a meal for your family, and you do it under the Lord. I mean, you're praying, Lord, pray for my family, and you sit down, and everyone's enjoying the meal, and you get done, and no one said thank you, Right? And you go to the kitchen and you're thinking, I made all this food. I, what in the world? They're so ungrateful. And you get angry and you get mad and you cut, right? That's, that's the devil's work in our life. That's how he gets in there. It's you working so hard for the Lord at your job. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the best employee I can be. And you get to the end of that year and you're like, I'm getting a promotion and someone else gets it. It's the lazy bum. Right? And for the next few months and years, you are so angry that happened. That's how the devil targets our heart. See, the devil's work is to dethrone Christ as the Lord of your heart. The devil, listen to this, the devil doesn't want to be in charge of your heart. He wants you to be in charge of your heart. Right? Think about that. He wants you to sit on the throne of your own heart to say, I'm my own God. I could just call the shots around here. And really what anger is, is anger is you trying to control, trying to play God, right? Your, your, your wife or your kids or your coworkers or whatever, they're not doing what you want them to do. You're going to play God. I'm going to make you do what I think you should do. And I'm going to do that through my anger. Anger is really... Many times putting ourselves in the place of God. And so what he's saying in Ephesians 4.27 is this, is that we're not to give an opportunity to the devil to influence us like that. And in fact, that phrase there, give no opportunity or give no place, is used in Luke 14.9 of an invitation to a dinner. And so the picture here is this, is that when you hold on to anger, when you lash out in sinful anger, it's like you're opening the door of your life to Satan. And it's like saying, come on in my dinner table. Come in my house. Come in my church and, and influence us. Have a seat here. That's how dangerous it is. So because of the danger of anger, you must quickly put off anger. And ask this question, how many times this past week did you invite the devil into your life with anger? And so let's look at how, as a new person in Christ, we are to deal with anger. And the first one might surprise you. Look at verse 26. He commands us to be angry. So because of the danger of anger, first of all, we need to discern what is this anger he's commanding us to have. What is Christ-like anger? What is godly anger? You see, this anger here in verse 26 is not the anger of humanity. This is not our type of anger. This is God's kind of anger. So let's first consider what is anger? What is anger? I, I color-coded this for you to see the connections there. Hopefully you can do that. So what's anger? Anger is a response of displeasure 
because a moral standard is violated. So you're going to have to put your thinking caps on here. So think about what is anger? Anger is a response. In other words, it's a choice. It's a choice of your will. And therefore, what we're going to see this morning is no longer should we say, that person made me angry. No, actually, you chose to be angry. It's a choice of the will. And also, it's an emotion. You have an emotion of displeasure. It's a response of displeasure. It's a, it's a feeling. It's a desire. It's an emotion. And it's based upon your thoughts, your mind, your beliefs. So anger is a response of displeasure because you have a moral standard that is violated. And here's the problem with us. And that is that our culture is the moral standard or probably most of the time also it's us. We are the moral standard. I get to decide what's right and wrong. So kids in here, let me, let me throw one out to you, okay? You're, you're playing with a certain toy and someone comes over and you put it down, they come over and they pick it up, another kid, and you say to them, I had that first. Okay, can I ask a question? Whose moral standard is that? Let's look in the Bible for that. That's in where? It's not found in the Bible. Right? In other words, we, we and so, you know, I can, you give it back to me. Mommy, take it from my God. Right? And so there's a response of this displeasure, this, this anger, because it's moral standard. And it's like, I'm going to find the verse where it says, if I had it first, I get it. It's not in the Bible. In fact, actually, it's the opposite. God says that's more blessed to give than to receive. And, and, and this is for children, right? But this is for all of us, right? Because we have this, these ways of thinking that this is, this is what is right and wrong. And therefore, you have to do what I think. And so then we should evaluate our heart. And again, our heart is what? Our heart is made up of our will, our mind, and our desires, our emotions. And so anger involves all of these. So then let's look at what Christ-like anger is. Christ-like anger is a, is a Holy Spirit-controlled response. It's the Holy Spirit controlling you as you're, you're submitting yourself to his, you're submitting your will to him. And it's a Holy Spirit controlled response of displeasure because notice this, God's will is violated. And so notice the moral standard is not you, it's not culture, it's God's word, it's God's will found in where? God's word. 2 Kings chapter 21, you have King Manasseh who sacrificed his son to an idol. Human sacrifice. Just imagine that. He murdered people. He, he called up demons to speak to them. This is a very evil person. And notice the Bible says he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him, that's God, to anger. Was God righteous to be able to be angry like that? Was he? Absolutely. Why is that? Because his moral standard was violated. The Greek word for anger found in Ephesians 4.26 is used 39 times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to God's anger. Scripture is clear. God is love and God is angry. And a lot of times people don't see those as going together. Some people say like this, well, you know, there's a God of the Old Testament, the angry God, and the God of the New Testament, the God of love. Not true. Because here's, here's the problem with that. And that is, if you truly love, you will have anger for that which opposes what you love, Right? They actually go together. They actually are perfect within the, the attributes of God. Like, I love my wife. Therefore, if someone comes to hit on her, guess what? I'm going to be mad. Why is that? Because I love my wife, right? Yeah. And, and God loves what he loves. That's his will, his glory. That's, that's those people he's created. And therefore, when you come against God, God's people, those whom he's created, when you kill someone, when you hurt someone with your words, God cares, and God loves so much that God is angry when his will is violated like that. And so that's why the Bible says in Romans 1.18, the wrath of God, that's the anger of God, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And, right, and by the way, this is New Testament, Romans. 
and all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. And so this is God's will being violated, his glory being diminished. People were rebelling against him and his truth. And the Bible says, therefore, the wrath of God is revealed. And really, the end of God's wrath, I mean, when God stops being slow to anger and withholding his wrath, is hell. Hell is the eternal anger of God upon sinners for sin. And it's real. Like that's, it's real. This is not a religious fairy tale. God's anger is real. God's anger to sin is real. And eternal hell is real. But praise be to God that God speaks of himself and his anger as he is slow to anger. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses is on top of the mountain and God and his glory is shining on him. And Moses is hearing the, the law. And it's just a wonderful, blessed, joyful time. But then something happens. And Moses recognizes that God was angry. The Bible says, the Lord, or the Bible says, Moses said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? So he's, he's praying, he's realizing God's upset about something. And God tells him, well, the people are down in the valley and they are sinning. And Moses goes down. And when he goes down, Moses sees the people are worshiping an idol and they're fornicating with each other. I mean, it's vile, it's filthy, it's wicked. So much so that notice the Bible says in Exodus 32, 19, as soon as he came, as Moses came near the camp, he saw the calf in the dancing. Moses' anger burned hot. This is righteous anger. This is a response to seeing God's will violated and Moses is, is angry. I can't believe God's people did this. They, they knew his law. I've already come down a couple times and told them. And, and Moses punished the people. And it was a right response. But what's interesting about Moses' response of anger is that Moses didn't hold on to his anger. Moses went back up to the mountain. He, he prostrated himself before the Lord. And he prayed and he cried out and asked actually for mercy for them. In other words, he, he left the anger to God said, God, that's your anger. And actually, I'm going to come to you, Lord. And I love these people. And I'm going to pray for these people. Lord, please don't destroy them. In fact, Moses even tried to pull this one. He said, Lord, I'll, I'll be the sacrifice in their place. Like, I'll die for their sin. Like, send me to hell so they don't have to. But guess what? God says that doesn't work. You know why it is? Moses wasn't holy enough. Like, the only person that could take someone else's place for the wrath of God upon their sin is a holy, perfect person. Moses wasn't that. We saw that at the beginning of the sermon, right? But there is someone who was to come. See, this is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who, who would live a perfect life and he would die on the cross. And on that cross, the Bible says that the wrath of God came upon him. Jesus was punished. He took the propitiation. In other words, God was satisfied with the work of Jesus, punishing him for our sin so that we could be free from sin. So he could forgive us. So Moses on that mountain, he did hear this very important truth. And that is from God, God's own words, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, notice this, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, God did forgive and have mercy upon those who repented in Israel. And friend, if you're in here without Jesus Christ, can I tell you this? God is slow to anger. And you may say, well, I don't, I don't see God's punishment in my life at all. You know why that is? God's kind. 
He's waiting for you to repent and to believe. God's slow to anger and praise God for that. And the Bible says that whoever believes in the son, if you turn from your sin and from your way of thinking and trusting yourself and you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you have at that moment, you're given the gift of God of eternal life. But whoever does not obey the son, you don't turn from your sin and you don't trust in Jesus Christ. You don't believe in his sacrifice for sin. You will not see life. But the wrath of God remains on you. In other words, God is slow to anger right now, but there will be a day when his anger is fully in force. And that's when you take your last breath. And if you do that without trusting in Christ, and oh friend, there is no mercy after that. But we can praise God for this. And that is his anger is not like our anger. He's slow to anger. And so right now, his arms are opened wide. Christ says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. You're weighed down with your sins. He says, I'll forgive you. I'll give you rest. I love you. So Lord, may you, Lord, may you open the eyes of those who don't know you in here. That's our prayer. Righteous anger is God's kind of anger. Scripture says that God wants us to have that type of anger. That is, we're to be quick to hear. We're to be slow to speak. We're to be slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So even in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, you see this contrast between God's anger, his righteous anger, and then our sinful anger. Because we often want to control the situation with sinful anger. We want to not be, we don't want to be quick to hear. We want to be quick to interrupt. We, want, we don't want to be slow to speak. We want to speak our mind. We don't want to be slow to anger. We want to lash out as soon as possible. But when the Holy Spirit controls our hearts, when you are under the power of the Holy Spirit, you trust that God is in control. So you don't have to do it through anger. You trust God is in control and you trust his Holy Spirit to control. And the result is God gives you peace and joy. And yes, even in the midst of hurt and difficulty, when you're tempted to rage and anger, the Holy Spirit, when he controls your heart, what's the Bible say the fruit of the Spirit is? It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's gentleness, it's goodness, it's long-suffering, it's self-control. Do you realize those go together? When a, you can have righteous anger, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and those things can come through too. And you say, well, how is that possible? Well, Jesus gives us the perfect example. Because in Mark chapter 3, Jesus was in a situation where there was a man with a withered hand. And, and the Pharisees were there. And they were angry because Jesus was going to heal this man. Can you imagine that? Here's a man who's, who's suffering. And Jesus says, you know, what's, what's the number two? What's the first and second law of God? It's love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here's a man who has a need. And the Pharisees go, but it's the Sabbath. You can't do work. Like healing someone. What? I mean, <laughs> there's only one person that could apply to. It's Jesus. So Jesus looked around at them, notice, with anger. This is righteous anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Jesus' righteous anger was because God's will was violated. They were not loving their neighbor. They were trying to restrict him from loving that man and they had hard hearts. So Jesus' anger was a spirit-controlled response of displeasure to God's will being violated. And if you read on in, in Mark chapter 3, you see that Jesus, he didn't hold on to that anger. What's interesting? Jesus, yes, he had anger at that moment. And then he healed this person. And then Jesus went on. He ministered to people. But Jesus wasn't bitter. But what's interesting is you read on, the Pharisees were, they were so ticked off. 
They went on, in verse 6 says, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. You see, that's really the distinction between God's righteous anger and sinful anger, right? Jesus' righteous anger was like, he didn't want to see them destroyed, right? I mean, he wanted to see this man be healed. He, had, he was grieved, sad. These guys had a hard heart. So that's terrible. But their sinful anger was like, I'm, we're going to destroy Jesus. And it led to the crucifixion. For Jesus, the Holy Spirit had control of him. And therefore, Jesus acted the way he did. The Holy Spirit must control our hearts. And when he does, there will be times where we see God's will violated and our hearts should respond with righteous, Holy Spirit-controlled displeasure. Like when you saw those, if you, if you saw those pictures of those children in Israel after they were killed, it should make you angry, right? When you think about the fact that, I read a statistic this past week that 20% of pregnancies in America end in abortion. What? Almost, if you count up from January to this time, almost 40 million babies have been aborted in the world this year alone. Like, that should make you angry. It's a righteous anger. God's will has been violated. People are murdering. But here's the warning. Christ-like anger is like, is like taking a hot dish off of the stovetop. You know, you go to the stovetop and there's that hot dish and you, you take it off. You're like, oh, that's really hot. It's really hot. And you take it over and you set it down quickly, right, on the table or wherever it is. And that's what even Christ-like anger is like. Like you pick it up and you feel the heat. You, you feel the displeasure of that sin. But, but, don't, but don't hold on to it. Because if you do, it could burn you. And, and I think that's what really this text of Scripture is, is saying here this morning. Christ-like anger, yes, it will cause displeasure because God's will is violated. But if you hold on to it too long, you'll be burned. In fact... Go over, uh, turn over with me to Psalm chapter 4. Psalm chapter 4. I want to show this to you in real life, but also in Ephesians 4.26, Paul quotes Psalm 4. So turn over to Psalm 4, and I want to demonstrate to you how we are to deal with righteous anger. Some commentators think uh, Psalm chapter 4 is about, is written, it's written by David, we know that for certain, but some think it's about when Absalom betrayed his father. So if you remember that story, Absalom basically ran his father out of Jerusalem. He, he uh, Absalom set up a tent on the top of his father's house. And so if you think about that, back at that time, the, the king's house was the highest one in the whole city of Jerusalem. So everyone could see that. Absalom went into that tent and he fornicated with David's concubines. The Bible says, in front of all Israel, that's 2 Samuel chapter 15 and 16. Very wicked, wicked thing. David's on the run from his own son who's trying to kill him. Like he's, he's rebelled. He's a traitor. And then notice Psalm 4. So I want you to read this with that in mind. Think about that. Think about that happening to you. You're on the run. You're in some cave or somewhere, somewhere, and you, you're doing this right here. You're responding to this. Psalm 4, verse 1, to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me. Hear my prayer. What's David doing here? He's praying, right? He's praying to God. He's thinking about who God is. Verse 2, O Men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Notice verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds. Be silent. Selah. Verse 5. Offer right sacrifices Put your trust in the Lord. Let's pause right there and think about this. What do you see in David's heart in these five verses? Faith, prayer, 
trust in the Lord. But notice this, David says, yes, there's a righteous anger. When I think about what he's done, it, it may, I'm, I'm angry about it, right? That's, that's a wrong thing that Absalom has done. But he says, be angry, but don't sin. And I think what's interesting, if you look in verse 4, he says, ponder in your own hearts on your beds. What's David doing when he's meditating? I mean, look at this psalm. What's he meditating on? Oh, Absalom, what a terrible guy he is. Is that what he's meditating on? No. God, you're the righteous one. Oh, Lord, you are gracious. Lord, you're hearing my call. You're hearing my prayer. And what, I, what you see, I think what you see in Psalm chapter 4 is David saying, yes, that's wrong. But I am giving this to God. Like, I'm not God. I'm going to give it to you, God. And so why is David able to go to his bed and meditate upon God? And then he's able to be silent. And notice verse 7 and 8. You have put, this is God, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So Absalom's in David's house. He's getting drunk. He's eating some awesome food. You know, he's going to Panera Bread and getting all that food. And David's out there not eating anything. But he says, I have more joy in my heart than they do. And in verse 8, in peace I will lie down and sleep. Why? For you, O Lord, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And, and here's the example I think that Paul is pulling from here, and that is this. Yes, there was a righteous anger David had, but David didn't hold on to it. David didn't lash out in his own flesh. David gave it to the Lord. So, so go back to Ephesians chapter 4, and we got to keep moving here. Because of the danger of anger, you must quickly put away anger. So let's look next at putting off sinful anger. So we need to discern what is Christ-like anger. So the next question is, what is sinful anger? What is sinful anger? And unfortunately, I forgot to put it on the screen up here. So if you have a paper, you can look at it on your paper or you can write this down. Sinful anger is a flesh-fueled response of displeasure because my will is violated. So sinful anger is a flesh-fueled fueled, that's my sinful desires are in charge, a flesh-fueled response of displeasure because my will is violated. Notice in verse number 26, Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and do not sin. That word sin means to miss the mark. Last year, I and a couple of men went to an axe-throwing place for someone's birthday, and I was terrible at it. You, know, you take the axe, you're supposed to hit the target. And I had, I had a time where like, actually it bounced back at me. I was no good at it. But that's what this is talking about. It's talking about missing the mark. So anger that does not aim and hit the target of glorifying God is sinful. Anger that does not aim and hit the target of glorifying God is sinful. And so notice the motive of sinful anger is what? It's it's me, it's my will, it's what I want. So sinful anger is about me. Sinful anger is controlled by my sinful desires. Galatians chapter 5 says that the works of the flesh, the works of sin, your sinful desires is, one of them is fits of anger. Look down in Ephesians 4 and verse 30. Notice you see this word anger, and it's in regard to sinful anger. Verse 30 says... I'm sorry, verse 31 says, let all bitterness and wrath and, notice, anger be put away from you. So there is a sinful anger. Notice the contrast between, in verse 26, the righteous anger, and then in verse, 20, uh, verse 30, the sinful anger. So sinful anger is a flesh-fueled uh, uh, response. It's my desires in charge. You could say it like this, my desires in control so that I respond out of control. Sinful anger is because my will is violated. It's, it's I am setting myself as the judge. I'm the God of this house or this relationship or of your life or even of what I want. So kids, this week, maybe you're going to get a piece of candy and your parents say, oh, not right now. It's before supper. And your lip po pooches out. And you start crying. Ooh, I want candy. Right? So what is that? That is you saying, I'm in charge, mom and dad. 
Like, I'm God here. And so you're going to get control of your parents through your anger. And hopefully, parents, you do not let that happen. A driver is driving down the 118. Oh, let's do the five. It's more fun that way. And you want that place on the road. You're trying to get over it. That guy doesn't let you over. And so you hit the horn. You're hitting the wheel. Maybe you even curse this guy. I'm the God of the road here. Like, come on. That person annoys you, right? It's like that person at work. It's like, why do they have to do that while I'm working? And you sit there and you just seethe over it. And this is what we're talking about here. Listen, do you see what we're talking about? We're talking about this is a self-centered response. Cain was in the field and he was angry because God didn't have favor in the way that he wanted favor. And so, so Cain responds. The Bible says Cain was very angry and his face fell. In other words, he had a really bad look on his face. And the Lord said, why are you angry? And he warned Cain this. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. In other words, its desire is to control you, but you must control it. In other words, there must be a control over that or it will control you. And Cain, he allowed anger to control him. So much so that he went, spoke to his brother in the field, and that anger just kept seething to the point where he got so mad, he picked up a rock and he crushed his brother's head. And we're like, wow, shocking. Do you think Cain woke up one morning and said, I think I'm going to kill my brother today? No. Well, how did he get there? How did he get to killing his brother? It's because anger controlled him in such a way that he hurt his brother in that way. Anger is the devil's access into your life. And oh, how anger is destroying our world, isn't it? I mean, when we see what's happening in our world, you know, these, these people, this ethnic group doesn't like this ethnic group. You know, we hate this people. We hate these people. And so they try to kill these people. Anger devours our homes. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So, so God is here warning fathers. Fathers, we, can, we actually can have sinful anger to our kids and actually cause them to provoke them to sinful anger. Why is God speaking to fathers? Like, why do we leave mothers out of this? Well, I think probably two reasons. Number one, fathers are to be the spiritual leaders in the home. Both are to be, have a spiritual influence, but fathers are to be the spiritual leaders. But also, I think it's probably because, men, we probably struggle with this more than... In, in different ways, but more than the women do, right? Because we want to get control in our house. And that two-year-old just is crying. And so we say, and excuse this word, but these two words, but shut up, right? We're going to get control of that two-year-old by yelling at that two-year-old. Or our teenager keeps mouthing back. And so we're going to throw the book across the room. We're going to threaten. We're going to scream. And the father says, well, it's the only way my kids will listen to you. It's the only way my kids will listen to me. And let me point out the problem. It's the only way my kids will listen to me. And do you see who's at the center of this? It's me. It's my will. It's what I want. I am the God of this home. No, you're not. <laughs> Your role as a father is to put God up as the God. And how do you do that? How, how does grace flow into a home? It's through humility. It's by serving. Well, I'm righteously angry. <laughs> right? I've heard, you ever heard that one? I'm righteously angry right now. Well, if that was true, why don't your knees hit the floor and you cry out to the Lord in prayer? Because what's the opposite? What's, what's the put on of Ephesians 6.4? The put off is don't provoke your kids to anger. The put on is is bring them up in the discipline and, at, and the nurture, discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And, and the answer is this, is that you need to speak to them in a way that's actually going to lead them to Christ. 
I think this is probably one of the saddest things that as parents we deal with. And if you're a grandparent, you might look back at your life and there are times where you know that you have spoken to your kids and you're like opening the door to hell and saying like, I am so sick of you, right? And you're, you're doing it for righteous reasons, right? But it's sinful anger. But actually the way of the Lord is to pray with our kids, for our kids. I mean, sometimes what you maybe need to do is just drop on your knees right there in front of your kids and say, oh Lord, help me. Help my child. Anger ruins marriages. Sally was annoyed that Harry got up from the dinner table and didn't help clean up. So she went to the kitchen and she fumed. Harry was upset that Sally hasn't been affectionate. So he went after dinner and ignored her and plopped on the couch. So here you have two people at war with each other through anger. And some get angry and they clam up. Some get angry and they blow up. But it's all self-centered. And again, what is the answer to that? What is the answer in James 4 to fighting, to quarrels? It's a lot of humility. When there's humility before the Lord and each other, God extends grace. And so, how about this last one? Anger infects and destroys churches. And Paul warned about this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, that men and women were gathering, we pray, and we put our hands up like this, and that's kind of a sign that I'm praying to the Lord. But his question is this, is are you doing that with anger in your heart? And we can allow a comment or someone's personality to bother us in such a way that we get angry, right? Well, I'm just frustrated. Let's call it what it is. It's anger. Oh, I'm just annoyed with that person. No, it's, it's, it's sinful anger. So I guess we should probably ask ourselves, how do we react to a sinful situation? How do we act when we are annoyed? How do you act when you have the temptation to have displeasure because something goes against what you want? Do you respond with anger? With sinful anger? Do you lash out? And probably the response of this is we need to repent of this, don't we? We need to repent of this way of living, this way of thinking, this way of treating each other. And then last of all, last of all, because of the danger of anger, don't hold on to anger, but seek to resolve the problem. Notice verse 26 at the very end. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So Paul has given us a principle to live by here, and it's to put off anger before it turns into sin. So he says, be angry, but, but put off that righteous anger even before the, sin, the sun goes down. And, and I think the idea here is this, is that take care of the problem as soon as possible. Like if there's a problem you have with someone else or something's taking place, you need to make sure that you try to resolve that as soon as you can. And so I guess the question is this, is how do you do that, right? How, how do we do that? How do we not hold on to our anger, but seek to resolve the problem? Well, this text of scripture doesn't really help us very much with that. doesn't give us details on that. But let me give you some, basically three quick steps here to take. First of all, go to the Lord in prayer. Go to God in humble prayer. It's interesting in Psalm 139, verse 22 that David, the psalmist, talks about his enemies. And the very next verse, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Why do you think he does that? Because a lot of times we look at the mountain of sin in someone else's life. We're like, oh, they're terrible. And, you know, our sin's like this little anthill down here. But then you go to God in prayer and you say, Lord, I, I pray I bring this. But, you know, Lord, I know I have this sin. So let me just talk about it. And you realize by the end of your praying, wow, my sin's the mountain and Theirs looks more like the molehill, you know what I mean? The anthill or whatever it is. The point is, is that it's good for us to go and examine our hearts. And a lot of times our pride hides how sinful we are and maybe even how wrong we were in the relationship. And so the next one is that we need to go to that person in, hu in humility. Go to that person in, in humble discourse. It's interesting in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking about anger and he's warning those, when he's teaching, he's saying everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable in judgment. So yeah, like anger, anger's serious. Like God says there's a judgment for it. There's sinful anger. But in Matthew chapter 5, he says, goes on to say that if, you're, if you 
are offering your gift at the altar and they're remembering that your brother has something against you. You know what that's talking about? It's, it's like you're in church here and you go to pray or you're at home and you're in prayer and you start thinking about that person. You're like, oh man, we, ah, that guy. Oh, I need to stop right now. I need to go talk to that person. That's what he's saying. What's your goal? Remember your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What this text of scripture is saying here is this, that the day of your anger must be the day of your reconciliation. That's what this text of scripture in, in, in Ephesians 4, 26, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. In other words, if there's a problem with you and someone else, it's not, well, I'll put it off for tomorrow and see how it goes. Or, eh, you know, probably I'll just, you know, maybe, maybe in a couple of weeks we can talk about it. No. See, that, that actually is the way Satan wants you to think, right? Because you hold on to that anger, and the longer you hold, even if it's righteous anger, you hold on to it, and the longer you hold on to it, we're, we're sinful creatures, right? We still have that sin nature. We still have the, those sinful desires, and so we can actually corrupt even righteous anger into unrighteous anger. So what Paul is saying is go talk to that person. What's the goal? The goal is reconciliation. Confess your sin. Allow them to confess their sin. Seek forgiveness. And then last of all, leave it with the righteous judge. Leave it with the righteous judge. In Psalm 4, I really think this is such a wonderful example because here's David, he's sinned against. And do you realize at the very end of that Psalm, he says, I have peace and joy. Well, how did that happen? Because David went like this. This is wrong and it makes me angry, but Lord, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it to you. You're the righteous judge. Shall not the judge of the whole earth do right? There's another story in 1 Samuel 15 where, where Saul or Samuel hears about Saul's sin. And the Bible says Saul was, I'm sorry, the Bible says Samuel was angry. And you know what he did as a result of that? The Bible says he got on his knees and he prayed all night long. See, that's what righteous anger does. It says, I want Saul to be reconciled to God. And he wasn't. Saul did lied about his sin when he was confronted in it. But this is the heart of anger. But sometimes you can't, or this is the heart of righteous anger. It's like, I want to see that reconciliation take place. But sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes you tried, or sometimes it's just too distant. That person's passed away or whatever it is. What are you to do? Well, leave it to the Lord. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God. He's the judge. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. And so, may God help us to discern what true Christ-like anger is. May, may we not sin in our relationships so that we have sinful anger. May we not resolve, seek to resolve issues that way. And, and may we seek to resolve our problems before the sun goes down. And again, this is a principle. It's not, you know, if you live in Alaska, you get more time in the summertime to resolve your issues. And of course, in the winter, you got to do it within like two hours. It's not saying that. It's saying a general principle Seek to resolve it as soon as you can. Go to God in humble prayer. Go to that person and then ultimately leave it to the Lord who is the righteous judge.